You're listening to The Growing Season, a podcast from Arkansas PBS. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than torpor, in short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying. Studs Terkel collected many such thoughts on the everyday lives of Americans and the thousands of personal interviews he conducted over his career. His subjects covered those larger-than-life topics by which we define ourselves, ideas like religion, patriotism, and most notably, work. Think about it. Whenever you meet someone new, maybe in the plane seat next to you or at a crowded party, what question comes first to mind? What do you do for a living? For most of us, we are what we do. Family farmers are in the unique situation of living where they work. Unlike many of us, farmers can't simply clock out at five and hang their worries on a hook before heading home for the night. When their heads hit the pillow at the end of the day, struggling crops or hungry herds still prey on their minds just outside the bedroom window. Vacations from the farm are hard to manage, but for most farmers, they are vitally important. This month's episode finds our farmers still bearing the brunt of the summer heat and looking for relief through some kind of time off. But leaving the farm is easier said than done, and trying to relax often brings its own kind of stress. That's why we'll also sit down with Dr. Wade Fuqua of Chanel Family Therapy to hear about the very real ramifications of going months without a break, and maybe learn some tricks of mini vacations right here at home. Well, my good friends, break time is over. Let's get to it on the growing season. The drought has finally broken on Heifer Ranch, and Donna Kilpatrick is feeling relieved despite the ramifications of weeks without rain spreading out before her. Maybe most troubling of all is the bigger issues this summer points to, and the inescapability of an increasingly volatile climate. The Yarn's Omaya Jones has the story. When we return to Heifer Ranch, we see rain has finally come. I would say cumulative at least three and a half to four inches over the last month, which has really helped. I mean, we were we were in a, in a serious drought. Um, I don't think I've ever seen it this dry uh, for so long. And I mean, you can tell the cover crops really stunted in growth, but they're bouncing back. Everything's starting to bounce back. And the hope is that we don't go into another really long period with no rain because uh, that would defeat any of the gains that we made last month with the rain or over the last couple weeks. I know it's supposed to rain this afternoon, I hope, fingers crossed. We still really need it. You know, one rain event doesn't fix months of drought. It's been so insanely hot. I was working outside this morning feeling the no-till drill and Lizzie and I, I mean, the breeze right here is amazing, but when we were filling, filling the drill with seed, it was just pouring with sweat. It was just so humid. You know, it's not just hot, it's the humidity. It's just stifling. We asked Donna how this kind of summer affects her perception of the land she works on. I don't know about you, but recently 
Liz and I were talking about this at home, just the, it seems like all of a sudden we've been talking about climate change forever and there's a change and there's a, there's a realization and I'm not sure who put out this study, but like we're really, in a much shorter amount of time than we thought, we're really screwed. Um, and we could, we could see mass die-offs of whole species much sooner than we thought. Um, I don't know, you know and, the, and the, the number of years that we heard uh, was like seven years that we could see radical change um, into what's already not a great situation. I mean, we're already, you can already look around and see that we're in dire straits. Um, with, with traditional agriculture, so often you're trying you're trying to create monocultures, and that's in juxtaposition to nature. There are no there are no monocultures in nature. It's you know it thrives in diversity, diversity of everything. Um, so when you when you know, people sometimes ask me about my definition of regenerative agriculture, um, and I always and one thing that I really feel confident in, in is that it's non-combative. So it doesn't, we're not, we're not fighting against something. Um, and I feel like often in, like I said, in, in traditional um, agriculture, you're, you're fighting against nature, you're putting herbicides, fungicides, insecticides, all of those things to, to hold down what nature's trying to do. Um, and what we're trying to do is uh, make it thrive. And she sees it happening in front of her eyes. Hopefully, every single thing that we do is working towards getting, uh, repairing the damage that we've done over the last 30 years with extractive agricultural practices like continuous, continuous grazing with cattle or not using the pastures or cutting them for, for hay. So everything we're doing is trying to get that back. And it's happening. I mean, you can see it. It's totally coming back, um, probably faster than I even thought it would. And the soil test shows it, but more, more is like on a daily basis looking out and seeing things. You know, birds coming back, species of birds, and water infiltration rates increasing, and so we don't have huge pools of water standing in pastures after a rain event. Those are significant changes. Donna's perspective befits her changing role and shows the benefit of taking some time to yourself. Yes, I definitely have days off. Um, because I live at the ranch, sometimes it doesn't feel like that because I'm always concerned about what's going on or hear a gator go by and wonder. I mean, it just, it's always on my mind. Yeah. Um, we've been getting away more recently because Lizzie Parker's position where she's doing a lot of the cattle management really has opened up an opportunity for me to get away like for long weekends like we've done a couple of those relatively recently and um, that's great because if I'm off the ranch then I'm not thinking about the animals or wondering if the staff's out in the heat dying or you know things like that um, I'm really bad about being off and being home and being like, oh, I'm gonna go check out the steers and see how they're doing today. And then that usually turns into a two hour thing, you know? So yeah, it's really good to get off the ranch. But she can't focus on vacations for too long. Tomorrow, I woke up feeling really anxious this morning. 
like I had too many things to get done. Just this whole month, it's just so much to do. And then I'm going to, to the savory training and I feel like I need to, I haven't really, well not, I use holistic management every day, but I haven't looked over the curriculum in a while. And I feel like, I feel like the courses in savory are pretty rigorous. Like, and people that are involved are really intelligent. And so I want to take a look at that material before I go. Um, just feeling a little bit stressed out about that. And then this class that I'm teaching that I haven't pulled, haven't made my slides yet, the slide deck. And that kind of technology, building slide decks, is not my forte. And I'm really particular about the way they look. So thankfully, Liz helps me with them. Um, but I need to build my slide deck and then Gosh, this trip tomorrow, which is no big deal, but I'm, we're going to leave at 4 a.m. and drive to Missouri and go to um, this place called Hamilton Native, what is it, Native Plants? Native, it's, it's basically a prairie. Uh, this woman, Amy, she started it, and it's a very well-established prairie using native grasses, which is what we're trying to convert to. So we talk a lot about, you know, planting either warm season or cool season cover crops. But the goal is not to continue that forever. Basically what we're trying to do is get the soil back to um, a healthy environment for native plants to thrive so that we're, we have perennial natives that our animals are grazing all the time. Donna's got some ambitious goals for heifer. With each of our visits, the more realistic those goals seem. I mean, my goal is by, I don't know, 2007, we could sell the tractors. That would be so awesome. And then we're just grazing native plants and grazing it well and holistically and not overgrazing them. Um, we'll see, but that would be, that's a long-term goal is that we get there. After a long career in agriculture, Donna Kilpatrick understands the power and a well-earned vacation, and the phrase, out of sight, out of mind. When we catch back up with Donna in September, we'll hear just what was waiting for her on the ranch when she returned home. Donna is lucky enough to have a team of skilled farmers under her, who she can trust to keep things on the up and up while she is away. Darren Davis recently returned to his farm in East Arkansas from a well-earned family vacation in Aruba, only to find the healthy crop he left behind had been jeopardized by someone he trusted. Farming can be lonely for the person in charge. Producer Antoinette Grajeda has the story. The rain has returned to Phillips County, where droplets splash against the brick of Darren Davis's front porch. The cooler weather brought by the rainstorm is a relief from the constant summer heat that can wear on a farmer's body. The heat is, is horrible because we have to be in the rice fields and the cotton fields and putting down pipe and walking and checking for worms and bugs. So it's, it's horrible. The last two weeks, uh, we've been going to work at 6 and quitting about 11. And then we'll go back in the evening about 7 to dark. So it, it's unbearable. It's, it's, it's so hot and miserable that you can't even work through it. 
Darren used to try and push through the heat, but he learned his lesson after watching a colleague suffer the effects of dehydration years ago. Today, Darren and his crew work split shifts and drink lots of liquids. It's just surviving in it is, is the thing. And it gets extremely hot. I'm talking about we have to change shirts two or three times a day because they're just soaked, soaking wet. So the heat is a monster. It is, to say the least. During a recent much-needed vacation with his family, Darren spent eight days in Aruba and the Dominican Republic. With temperatures in the 80s, it was a welcome break from the triple-digit highs and humidity of Arkansas. Darren's nephew ran the farm during vacation and with no major issues, the row crop farmer was finally able to relax. It was kind of stress-free this time. Yeah, and that's not normal. <laughs> that's not normal. So normally I'm on the boat worrying about what I need to do here. I'm, I'm away on vacation worrying about what I need to do here, but I didn't get those phone calls this time, thank God. Before leaving town, Darren hired a pilot to spray his cotton for insects. However, shortly after returning home, Darren received word from his cotton scout that bugs had damaged 15% of his crop while he was away. He was in an uproar. I, that put me in an uproar because he said his reputation is at stake. So if your pilot is not doing what you asked him to do, kind of makes him look bad because if I don't make the cotton that I think I should make, I'm gonna come down on him, but it's actually not him, it was the pilot. So, called the pilot, he says, yeah, I sprayed it. I sprayed every field I was supposed to. So the scout says, I don't believe he sprayed it. So it was one of those things. So I had to spray again. To make a long story short, I had to spend that money and spray again. The chemical costs about $15 an acre, and the local airport charges $8.50 an acre to spray it. Darren has roughly 600 acres of cotton and says the insect-related damage is enormous and will likely cost him twenty dollars to $25,000. Not good at all. Uh, not good because when I left, everything was perfect. And you're thinking you got this, and then when you get back, you've lost 15% of what you thought you had <laughs> before you left. So, so it, it doesn't make me feel good at all, but It'll probably make me change pilots next year, for sure. It's too late in the season to plant more cotton because harvest time is soon. So now what we do this time of year, we're getting ready for harvest to make sure all your big trucks are serviced, cotton picker combine, make sure they're serviced and ready to go to the field. So that's after this rain, that's what we'll be doing, changing all servicing everything up, getting it ready for the harvest. As on that picture I showed you, the cotton is opening, so I'm gonna say we're about three weeks, about mid-September, away from picking, harvesting cotton, and uh, probably the end of September for some soybeans, the uh, first of October, so it's, it's coming fast. Despite the fast-paced season, Darren was able to slow down a bit this morning. With rain in the forecast, he decided to sleep in today, a treat for the hardworking early riser. Of course, there's still work to do, He's headed to a Dodge dealership to pick up a part for his truck shortly. When he returns to the farm, he'll continue preparations for the upcoming harvest season because after three decades of farming, he knows harvest waits for no one. Losing 15% of a cotton crop could be devastating to a farmer like Darren Davis. We'll see how he recoups when we catch back up with him in September. Darren took a risk 
leaving his livelihood in the hands of someone else. One of the big reasons, vacations are usually few and far between for family farmers. Will Norton remembers only a few family vacations in the span of his entire childhood on his parents' place. He, Rachel, and the kids just returned from a trip to Colorado, something much more regular these days. For Will and the family, vacations mean more than just taking a break. Reporter Jordan Hickey has the story. It can be difficult to catch the Nortons in a lull, and even then, it's hardly a relaxing moment. This evening, Will is working with a local guy, Jared, to convert a truck into a feed truck. As Rachel walks over to the pens of the corral, which Will has turned into a workshop for the afternoon, she gives a brief rundown of what they're doing over the sound of the welder. So it's just a regular truck bed. Was a regular truck bed. And it will have a flatbed like this red truck up here. And then they're gonna put this box on it. So it'll be the feed box just like Lucy has out here. So we're just moving things around. This evening, however, even though the Nortons are busy as ever, especially with the kids, Cal and Whitley, going back to school this week, we're talking about something that's quite the opposite. The trip they'd taken out to Colorado and Dodge City, Kansas, earlier this month. Ten days. No, no it was just days. eight days. Yeah, eight days. We left on a Thursday? Friday. Oh. We left on a Friday and got back on a Friday. As Will says, it's a good time of year to be away. And even though it takes some planning, it just takes a few stars aligning for the family to find time to get away. It's hot here in the summertime. Cattle usually are hard to start. They're, they're hot, heat stressed. Cell barn numbers are usually low that time of year. This time it was high because of dry conditions. A lot of people sell them early. But usually it's just a decent time to slow down and be able to do that because Cattle slows down just a little bit. Her work slows down just a little bit. Of course, now we have kids and they're fixing to go back to school. No, it's nice to be away. It's nice to just be able to focus being with the kids and life and doing what you want to do instead of having to run around five hours all the time. Um, my LPs perfectly capable of taking care of everything while it's gone. We check in a little bit, but. We, uh, we had a lot of, we slowed down a little bit, so it wouldn't be so much for one person. He took his vacation right before I took mine, so we'd slow down a little bit. It wasn't overwhelming to take care of. But, yeah, it was nice to get out there and not have to worry about it at all. It's important to note, however, that these trips do not involve beachside lounge chairs or tiny tiki drinks on a crowded beach. Far from it. The Nortons typically head for destinations like Colorado, Texas, Wyoming, places with ample backcountry where they can ride their horses for miles without seeing a soul. And even being on vacation doesn't stop Will from waking up at 3.30 or 4 in the morning. Uh, people hate me at campgrounds. You start moving, the horses start niggering. Um, See, and it was even worse out there because they're hour behind us. We take books and stuff. I might read a little bit. I'll probably read more on the internet and stuff that interests me. Markets and stuff like that. I watch that a lot. 
cattle markets and study uh, maybe a couple of closeouts stuff like that just that stuff interests me more than watching TV. Last month, Rachel mentioned they needed the vacation. These necessary vacations are less about relieving stress and more about staying active, they say. I think it's just we want to go see things. Yeah, it's, things. I'm here. I mean, it's it's probably sounds kind of bad, but the last thing I want to do is on Sunday afternoon when I'm kind of done to sit here. I've beat this farm to death all week long. Um, I just want to go and see other things. Uh, go to Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Alaska. I want to go to all them places. Just, just out there. I don't like stopping what I do for a living. It kind of bothers me, or it doesn't really bother me. It just, I like the, I like having stuff to do. I don't like sitting around. I don't. I don't I don't like watching TV. I don't like to go socializing. I like to do stuff. Everybody got the same amount of time. It's just what you do with it. So, but it's not about getting away from the stress. It's just nice to go see something else. After we've ended the interview, we talk for the better part of half an hour about the many places they've been and the things they've seen that few have. It's something, Will says, that is different from when he was growing up, when trips were taken very seldom and the farm was all he knew for much of the year. It's true, as Rachel had said earlier, that vacation and work flow easily into each other. I think the minute that he got back into you know, town and everything was good, I think Saturday, we were here for, I, I was working late at the rent house Friday night. And then I think Saturday night, he was already turning around going to get a load of cattle somewhere. So, I mean, I don't know that anybody stopped per se. Like it was all, you know, it's like we just picked up where we left off and everything was the same, back to normal. It's not easy to leave a farm of any size, but when you're as established as the Nortons, adventure becomes a lot more doable. For Will and Rachel Norton, their vacation into the West was a welcome reset button, allowing them, upon returning home, to dive headlong back into the work at hand. When we catch back up with the Nortons in September, a health scare will bring the end of the summer to a thundering halt. Another family in desperate need of vacation are the Beardens in Friendship, Arkansas. As the relentless summer heat wears on, Things in the community are anything but friendly. With hay stores running low, whispers of violence spread through the river bottoms like wildfire. The Yarns' Omaya Jones has the story. When we meet the Beardens at Fat Boys, it's clear the difficult summer has yet to lighten it's up. It's a mix of frustration and stressful and anxious. Anxious would be a good word. Mm because it's taken twice as long to do anything and we're still not getting where we need to be. Yeah. You know, we build all this hay and we do all this stuff and we still don't have enough at the end of the day for us. There's not enough left on the bone to pay our bills and pay our way by the time we pay our help and our repair bill. And have we put any hay up for us yet? 20 rolls. I need 15 hunger. And the rain 
which has finally returned to Arkansas, hasn't brought much good news. We got rain, what, last week? Last week we got uh, right at an inch. And that's the first rain we've had since June? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And so, it looks like the rain even today is going to split us and go around us. Yeah. So this, this part of the state is just weather-wise just dramatically different. Yes. Yeah. It kind of is, is going around us each time. Um, I've talked to a friend of mine south around Sparkman, which the way the crow flies is probably 25 miles south west of here. They got six and a half inches last week. And so now he's trying to figure out what he can do and what he can't do. He said, I went to cut hay and I got my tractor stuck in August. And I wish I could get my tractor stuck in the middle of August. And then the other side of that spectrum in the northeast corner to kind of north central around the I-40 area, they've gotten none of the two rains we got lucky enough to get. So one of my friends is around Lone Oak, so they hadn't had rain since the end of May. And it's just, it's tough on everybody. It's tough on us as the hay producers. It's tough on the folks that are trying to buy hay because we don't have it. Their scarcity has brought out a frightening side of the tight-knit community the Beardens love. And there's people that's giving us hard times. I had a guy that I sell hay to. <clears throat> He's got a thousand rolls that we've put in his barn. And he's having threats. He said some guys are calling and literally threatening him to burn his hay barn down if they don't, if he doesn't sell them hay. Now you tell me, in, in, in a business where you're supposed to take care of your friends and you're all are trying to survive, and especially with us, we could be making probably 10 to $20 more a roll of hay because that's what the market has said. But we know that if we charge that extra money, that there is no way that our producers are gonna stay in the business and I need them to continue what they're doing so that I can continue having a paycheck for the next 10 years, not the next year. And he said, I'm legitimately concerned. He called his insurance agent and made sure that there was $60,000 worth of insurance on that barn for its contents because somebody's threatening it, because people are scared and they're worried that there's not hay, that there's not grass, that there's, and, and that's what it's causing, is this this uncertainty is it, bringing that heightened anger, that heightened frustration. And I understand it, because Lord knows I am frustrated. The Beardens, who have carefully saved pastures for tough times such as these, have been threatened as well. Because we wouldn't give up one of our lease places for this guy to come in and basically take over a lease that we've spent three to four years trying to get our hands on. He got threatened that this guy was gonna run around to all the folks we rent from and take all of our lease places away because we wouldn't just give him our lease ground. Because we have grass out there that we've purposely been holding. Um, that just, it's mind boggling to me. And I hate it that folks are that desperate and that they would rather take than go out and plan ahead and work for their own. And that's just not a mentality that I have. Through it all, the Beardens maintain their composure, focusing on what they do have. I am just glad that we're not in part of the world that has to worry about water right now. So, uh, we gotta worry about water. But we have it. It might be a pain that we've got to go start filling water tanks and hauling it, but we can get our hands on it. We can. In some of these places, like you look at the row crop guys over in eastern Arkansas, if they're not right up beside the river, there's lots of places over there that have low water tables that their wells are going dry. And if their wells are going dry, they can't water their crops. They can't water their crops, they won't have a harvest. And I'm glad that's not a stress. Like, 
same way with Hope. Yeah. Hope, they're starting to put restrictions on how much they can pull out of that aquifer. Oh. Uh, we are very blessed right now in that we have the river that's right there. We have a means of, of water here. And we do have wells put in. We've got access to city water in places. And in fact, we work a pretty good deal with one of the local fire departments that we can haul our big water tanks and they'll fill them up out of the fire hydrant. So it doesn't even take as long and we just pay them for water. And we can fill up a 300 or a 600 or a thousand gallon tank, put it on a trailer and haul it to our cattle and fill up water tanks in the places that we don't already have water plumbed into. So at least we have options. And they are finding ways to help and support each other. There's nights that I really think my wife is concerned about me um, because it, it does bother me. But you have to find some way to deal with that and to let it go and to breathe. And for me, it's Rachel and my little daughter, and it's watching them play and watching them succeed in what they're doing. Know, Rachel got to travel and get some of her national awards and see her kids succeed. That makes me happy. That makes me enjoy and forget my struggles and my frustrations. Well, you have the frustrations of being single dad and in the hayfield for two weeks solo. We're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I will deal with those frustrations. I want you to be successful and happy because that brings me joy. Rachel and John Michael are a true team when it comes to the farm, allowing the joy of each other's successes to buoy them through the difficult times. When we catch back up with the Beardens in September, we'll hear how the community continues to reel with an unprecedented growing season. The teamwork of a successful farm is a source for joy, support, and inspiration for many families across Arkansas. But too often, when things get stressful, a farmer might grow myopic zeroing in on the task at hand. If you aren't careful, those family moments might pass you by. Larry Gallagher knows this all too well. Producer Antoinette Grajeda has the story. After a long day, Larry Galligan joins his family at the wooden table in their dining room for dinner. After finishing his pizza, Larry's son Wyatt hops down from his chair and unwraps a brownie laying on the bar. The sweet treat is a nice way to cap off a big day, the first day of fourth grade. Today we had library and computer, and then tomorrow we're gonna have art, and then after that we're gonna have music, and then on Thursday, we're gonna have PE, and then we're gonna have library and computer on Friday again. Larry woke up at 5.30 today and ate breakfast with his son, as he often does. When the sun came out, he completed some farm chores before driving to his job in town. I have to be keep in mind that there's gonna be a lot more traffic on the road now, and so even at seven in the morning, there were more cars than I'm used to seeing. School traffic is the latest thing Larry must juggle as he continues to transition from full-time farm work to a full-time job at the U of A Research and Extension Center. Despite all the changes this summer, one challenge that has remained constant is the heat. After six weeks of no rain, Larry's West Fork farm recently received about five inches, but for some crops, the damage had already been done. We're probably just gonna rip most of our tomatoes out because they weren't set in fruit anyway, and they're just now starting to start to flower again, but they're, you know, they got through all that dry spell with no disease, and all of a sudden they're getting hit with blight now that it's humid again. 
Larry knows well the devastating impacts of blight after losing about 1,200 plants to the disease last year. This is another tough season for his tomatoes because before the blight set in, the hot weather prevented the crop from producing consistently. Tomatoes and a lot of things, uh, they don't set flowers above, you know, if the temperatures are a certain, um, if it's above 72 or five at night consistently, they won't flower or the flowers they have aren't viable. Um, and so you'll get a gap in fruit. While losing another tomato crop is heartbreaking, Larry is looking ahead, switching his focus to root crops, which he prefers to plant in early August, but hot weather could lead to poor germination. I mean, it's summer in Arkansas and it gets hot, but um, you know, this is, I don't know how many days in triple digits we had, but I think 2012 was the last summer we had this kind of heat, uh, this consistently. And, uh, and so, but I mean, we had, a, we had a lot of days where we were 95 and above this summer. And last, the last couple summers, we haven't had that. After struggling to cope with the heat and a new work schedule for two months, Larry realizes this year's farm production won't be quite what he envisioned. It's gonna be not as grand as I wanted it to be this fall, but you know, we, we basically gotta get back into the new routine. I'm working again, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna go to my job. This worked before I had a job, you know, and I could do all this other stuff, but it's like, you know, we've got, you know, extracurriculars with more, you know, now that Wyatt's older, we got a lot more going on and just, we're trying to spend more time, you know, as a family anyway, which, you know, three or four years ago when I was working and, and doing this, you know, I was, Wyatt was younger and I was putting a lot more effort into this and, and probably not as much as I should have into being a fun present father. Wyatt celebrated his 10th birthday this month a milestone that came rather quickly for Larry, who can't believe his son is halfway grown. I feel like I didn't put a lot of time into family time, you know, for like 2017 through 19. And I'm realizing that time goes by very quickly. And uh, so, and I do, I've been kind of, in, you know, I've kind of learned to enjoy certain things that I just, you know, I don't know. I just like staying busy most of the time, but now I'm, starting to enjoy, you know, taking a day and doing something fun or like, you know, we're talking about canoeing again because like we used to do float trips all the time and you know, our canoes just sitting there getting dusty and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So it's, you know, there's a lot of other things I'd like to spend time doing and not just working. It may be some time before their next float trip, but in two weeks, Larry will host a birthday party where Wyatt can celebrate with his friends by playing on a giant slip and slide in the yard. Larry and his family laugh as they recall how much fun they had hosting a similar party in 2020. This celebration will likely generate more fun memories Larry can cherish as his son continues growing up way too fast. When we catch back up with Larry in September, we'll find out just how Wyatt's birthday party went. The story of a farmer swallowed by his work is all too common. Luckily, Larry Galligan is finding his way back to what is important. With the added isolation of COVID-19 over the past couple of years, the farm family ties across the country have grown even more tenuous. Loneliness and labor compound, making a beautiful piece of land feel more like a prison. For transplant farmers like Grace and Ruthie Pepler in Marshall, Arkansas, the chance to visit family in their native New Jersey is rare. 
It's something worth fighting for. Producer Jordan Hickey has the story. Coming down the gravel drive to Dogwood Hills Farm, you usually meet the Pepler family engaged in any number of chores. More often than not, it's something to do with the farm, whether it's tossing fodder to the animals or some maintenance odd job. This, however, might be a first. Grace Pepler and her dad, Thomas, are giving the family car a thorough cleaning in anticipation of a trip to the East Coast later this month, where they'll visit with family and attend an agritourism conference Ruthie is speaking at. How thorough is thorough? Very, as evidenced by a toothbrush Grace is using to scrub away at some grime. Ah. Previously brushed my teeth. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's retired from uh, personal use and is now <laughs> used for other purposes. To watch the Peplers work through their chore list, you'd think they were Ozark natives. It is almost hard to believe the family moved from New Jersey just a few years ago. They've built themselves a home here. Fortunately, a friend of Grace's, Michaela, is just as at home at Dogwood Hills. It's good to have somebody like intuition, somebody that's got that farm intuition, that's hard to find. So knowing that they're going to be able to spot something that's off a little, that, help, that helps me relax a little more. Somebody that doesn't know anything about farming really and can't really pick up a, a warning sign as it's starting, is that's concerning to me, then I'm worried the whole time. It's tough leaving the farm behind, especially with the matter of a dwindling hay supply hanging over their heads. And especially when they've got several cows who are almost ready to calve but aren't quite there. So like in an ideal world, they'll all have their calves. Before we leave, they'll all be ready to be milked then. And when we get back, that would be just perfect. <laughs> like Graham used to say from my mouth to God's ears, right? <laughs> Please. Yeah. 20 days, we have 20 days. <laughs> Much of this work is what Ruthie calls preventative maintenance anything they can do to avoid any major issues while they're away, to avoid any late night phone calls, to do the impossible, allow their minds to turn away from the farm even just for a short time. Ultimately, one of the biggest challenges the Peplers face in running the farm is being tied here, even when it's toughest. You know, when it was COVID, it was two years before we saw any of them, you know. To change it. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. So, you know, and especially now, you know, like she said, you know, some of our family is getting up there in age, you know, and back with COVID, I mean, you never know really who is going to be your last time seeing. There were several people in our family that, you know, weren't there when we went back the last time and you just had to kind of accept that the last time we saw them was the last time, so. As the Peplers say, it's not easy being so far from family. It's not easy to read Narnia bedtime stories to grandchildren over Zoom. And there's a hope that, in time, the farm will allow them to take more time off. But still, when they talk about the slower pace of life and the beauty of the farm, you know they appreciate what they have. But you know, we come up that hill from Martian and we're like, oh, we're almost home. And there's always that just like, oh. <laughs> coming up, um, going up to Clinton, and you can, there's like that kind of an overlook or clearing in the trees, and you can see Lake Choctaw, 
and that's where I always know that I'm like I'm almost home. It's like it's it's just always so pretty, and it's always a spot that I look for. No matter you know whether I'm coming just down from Little Rock or you know coming from New Jersey, it's always like okay now now I'm home. Home is important to farmers like Grace and Ruthie Pepler. And for many of those farmers, the notion of home is inexorably tied to that of work. To be at home is to be working. The work of the land is endless. There's always one more row to walk, one more bale to throw. If farmers don't allow themselves the chance to step away, to lay down the plow, even for a moment, they jeopardize their health and future. Arkansas PBS producer Corey Womack sat down with Dr. Wade Fuqua of Chanel Family Therapy in Little Rock to discuss the importance of time off and the true cost of passing it up. All right, so we are here today with uh, Dr. Wade Fuqua of the uh, Chanel Family Therapy in mm-hmm. Little Rock. We hear often it's impossible for me to take a vacation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the time off never really comes. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only for somebody running a small business, but particularly a small family farm. Mm -hmm. In the world of mental health, what does this look like for us? Yeah, and it's it's. I'm sure it's it's always been there for farmers. I would imagine, right? Right. Because you can't go on vacation and not tend to your farm. When you're overworked, you hear you see burnout. I think you have a loss of hope that it's going to get better, which Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest challenges of burnout. Is that you just you don't see the end to this. There's no end in sight, Mm -hmm. Um, um, and so that's really challenging. But stress is huge in those times. I think over time it it adds up. Right. Absolutely. And and you see it. um, I know, like. Trouble sleeping, right. um, too much or too little, um, appetite changes. I think irritability, just changing um, your, your fuse being a little bit shorter and snapping on things that you would not normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, those, to me, are signs that of you're not taking uh, sustainable breaks. You're not really focused on sustainability for you as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just go, 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 go. And understandably, you have to be. Right. So it's, it's a conundrum, I think, because how do you take care of yourself when you don't know how you can make time for that. right? Um, so you have to kind of think really, really small on what that looks like. It doesn't take much, right? Um, sitting down, you know, having a cup of coffee, spending time with a friend, a conversation. Like it can be short things to help with that, um, but if not tending to it, right, it, it over time it, it becomes something much bigger that's harder to manage. Right. So let's mm-hmm. say you have a farm family that mm-hmm. maybe comes into your clinic and, mm-hmm. and maybe wife and kids or husband and kids are saying, you, you know, you're you're so worried about, you're so focused on the task at hand, mm-hmm. um, you are starting to snap at us a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, how as a therapist, what, what might you be looking at to help? The biggest thing that I think can be helpful is engaging them on why it's important for you to take a break and know. So as opposed to, like, I understand the, like, hey, don't snap at me, um, but also... Hey, that, just a reminder, have you had your, did you take a, a break today? Mm-hmm. Um, have you done something like that? So engaging your family and why it's important and what your strategies are mm-hmm. to uh, deal with that, I think is helpful. It makes it more sustainable because, again, you're all working together around the one problem as opposed to someone just trying to keep it all bottled up inside and, and ultimately that's just going to explode. Right. In a vacation, even if it's that mini vacation of a, of a cup of coffee on the front porch, what should I be looking for? You know, to protect my mental health, to protect myself, what should I be looking for in a, in a healthy vacation? Probably a, a few different qualities. One, I don't think it's about how much money you spend on it. I don't think it's about how far you physically get away from home. 
um, some of the best times can just be at home mm-hmm. and ex- you know kind of pushing things out. So I think it's a level of disconnection. Mm-hmm. We are so connected um, te- technology-wise, um, communication, social media, news media, everything. Like, there's just so much going on right now that that's something we saw particularly early on in the pandemic of shut that stuff off. I might even consider social media or television as that relief mm-hmm. during the work week. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're saying a vacation might mean mm-hmm. even taking a break from those crutches, those kind yeah. of... Yeah, I think they can be. Right. The problem is you can't control... When I think about things like social media, sitting down watching TV, you can't control what always is going to come on there. I, I honestly think we don't realize how little time we spend not doing anything, right? Mm-hmm. Just sitting there and just experiencing ourselves. I think the other thing that that is helpful in when you're looking at vacation for the purposes of like kind of decompressing and is is fun and play. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, when you again when we look at burnout, which is something we see a lot in mental health and some of these other disciplines where it's more talked about probably is have some fun and connect with people. You know, that to me is really healthy because you're going to hopefully be engaged in doing that mm-hmm. um, as opposed to stuff back home. Our relationships at home, whether they be with our children, um, our spouses, our neighbors, our parents, you know, however you want to look at it, like mm-hmm. those have to be cultivated, intended to, um, or they will kind of, I don't they'll know, wither they'll, 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 yeah. wither, they'll suffer. Yeah. Um, and, and life gets in the way. Yeah. I mean, if I if I am a, a father or if I am a husband, that, that life's gotten in the way. You know, is there any homework you might mm-hmm. give that person to mm-hmm. go home and... So probably individually, there's some really uh, important things of, you know, challenging a person. I don't have any time. You know, I, I just I can't take any time. And, and usually I, I kind of push that a little bit, like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour a week. You can find that collectively. Mm-hmm. I, I almost guarantee it. A fun one with kids you mentioned is giving them a time of yes, playing the games you don't want to play that you're always annoyed about. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to get on the floor and play Pretty Pretty Princess. <laughs> uh, but I guarantee you're going to laugh when you do it. Right. And that laughter is way better than any medication you could take. Something I have seen with our age group in the last three or four years is this 60 to 70 hour work mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. and kind of wearing this thing like a badge of honor. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. I think that there's a trend of like I'm working more productivity is uh, my worth is measured through that. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that's definitely not true. Uh, <laughs> just a blanket statement, not right. true. Um, and, and oftentimes we work more and we're not doing as good of a job. Because right. we're we're stretching ourselves so thin, um, you know. I, th- I think of just trying to fill your plate up, and you you it's just falling, rolling over. You you cannot carry your plate because you're just making a mess everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and I think that realizing that you can do a lot of things, and you can do several things really really well. There's this concept of essentialism, and you and you have to be then intentional about weeding out things that are not crucial, mission critical at the moment. Since 2020, millions of Americans have worked from home for the first time. After months of video meetings and endless emails, reports of burnout and unhealthy work-life balance poured in. With no home to come to after work, most jobs felt like the Monday to Friday sort of dying Studs Terkel warned us about almost 50 years ago. For farmers, working from home is the reality, pandemic or not. Either as a career you choose or a way of life you're raised in, living where you work is exhausting. 
What is there to keep a farmer's passion from dying on the vine? The ability to step away, even ever so briefly, provides the relief and respite a farmer needs. Maybe it's a trip to the Rocky Mountains or an idyllic beach. Maybe it's a plan to catch up with distant family or a simple canoeing weekend with your son before he gets much older. In a time when the 70-hour work week is touted like a badge of honor, American farmers have to learn there is no crop as valuable as time. It's a good lesson for us all. Never get so busy working, you forget what you're working for. When we catch back up with our farmers in September, harvest will be in full swing as the season climbs that final hill before the cool weather arrives. We'll also speak with Hallie Schaffner, owner and sixth generation operator of SFR Seed in Newport, Arkansas, to hear her advice for farmers looking ahead and planning beyond harvest. The growing season is funded through a Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network grant provided by the United States Department of Agriculture and administered by the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. This episode was written and directed by Corey Womack of Arkansas PBS. Our stories are covered by journalists Antoinette Grajeda and Jordan Hickey, as well as Hilary Trudell, Omaya Jones, and Andy Vaught of the Yarn Storytelling Initiative. Audio mastering was done by engineer Tracy Prince. This podcast is an Arkansas PBS production. I'm your host, Ben Dickey, and this has been The Growing Season. If you enjoyed these stories, please review our podcast and be sure to follow Arkansas PBS on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.